0: section ten of the hawaiian archipelago by isabella l bird this librivox recording is in the public domain letter ten waipio valley hawaii there is something fearful in the isolation of this valley open at one end to the sea and walled in on all others by palace or precipices from a thousand to two thousand feet in height over the easiest of which hangs the dizzy track which after trailing over the country for sixty difficult miles connects waipio with the little world of Hilo. the evening is very sombre and darkness comes on early between these high walls i am in a native house in which not a word of english is spoken and deborah among her own people has returned with zest to the exclusive use of her own tongue. This is more solitary than solitude, and, tired as I am with riding and roughing it, I must console myself with writing to you. The natives, after staring and giggling for some time, took this letter out of my hand with many exclamations, which Deborah tells me are at the rapidity and minuteness of my writing. I told them the letter was to my sister, and they asked if I had your picture. They are delighted with it, and it is going round a large circle assembled without. They see very few foreign women here, and are surprised that I have not brought a foreign man with me. There was quite a bustle of small preparations before we left Onamia. Deborah was much excited, and I was not less so, For it is such a complete novelty to take a five days ride alone with natives. Dee is a very nice native girl of seventeen, who speaks English tolerably, having been brought up by Mr. and Mrs. Austin. She was lately married to a white man employed on the plantation. Mr. A. most kindly lent me a favourite mule, but declined to state that she would not kick or buck or turn obstinate or lie down in the water all of which performances are characteristic of mules she has however as he expected behaved as the most righteous of her species our equipment was a matter for some consideration as i had no waterproof but eventually i wore my flannel riding dress and carried my plaid in front of the saddle My saddlebags, which were behind, contained, besides our changes of clothes, a jar of Liebig's essence of beef, some potted beef, a tin of butter, a tin of biscuits, a tin of sardines, a small loaf, and some roast yams. Deborah looked very piquant in a bloomer dress of dark blue, with masses of shining hair in natural ringlets, falling over the collar, mixing with her lei of red rosebuds. She rode a powerful horse, of which she has much need, as this is the most severe road on horses on Hawaii, and it takes a really good animal to come to Waipio and go back to Hilo. We got away at seven in bright sunshine, and Dee's husband accompanied us the first mile to see that our girths and gear were all right. It was very slippery, but my mule deftly gathered her feet under her and slid when she could not walk. From mere to the place where we expected to find the guide, we kept going up and down the steep sides of ravines and scrambling through torrents till we reached a deep and most picturesque gulch with a primitive schoolhouse at the bottom and some houses clustering under palms and papayas, a valley scene of endless ease and perpetual afternoon here we found that dee's uncle who was to have been our guide could not go because his horse was not strong enough but her cousin volunteered his escort and went away to catch his horse while we tethered ours and went into the schoolhouse this reminded me somewhat of the very poorest schools connected with the edinburgh ladies highland school association but the teacher had a remarkable paucity of clothing and he seemed to have the charge of his baby which much clothed and indeed much muffled lay on the bench beside him for there were benches and a desk and even a blackboard and primers down in the deep wild gulch where the music of living waters and the thunderous roll of the pacific accompanied the children's tuneless voices as they sang an Hawaiian hymn. I shall remember nothing of the scholars but rows of gleaming white teeth and splendid brown eyes. I thought both teacher and children very apathetic. There were lamentably few though the pretty rigidly enforced law, which compels all children between the ages of six and fifteen to attend school for forty weeks of the year, had probably gathered together all the children of the district. They all wore coloured chemises and lays of flowers. Outside, some natives presented us with some ripe papayas. Mounting again, we were joined by two native women, who were travelling the greater part of the way hither, and this made it more cheerful for Dee. The elder one had nothing on her head but her wild black hair, and she wore a black holuku, a lei of the orange seeds of the pandanus, orange trousers, and big spurs strapped on her bare feet. A child of four, bundled up in a black poncho, rode on a blanket behind the saddle, and was tied to the woman's waist by an orange shawl the younger woman who was very pretty wore a sailor's hat lays of crimson ohia blossoms around her hat and throat a black holuku a crimson poncho and one spur and held up a green umbrella whenever it rained we were shortly joined by kaluna the cousin on an old big war eyed bare-tailed raw-boned horse whose wall-eyes contrived to express mingled suspicion and fear, while a flabby, pendant lower lip conveyed the impression of complete abjectness. He looked like some human beings who would be vicious if they dared, but the vice had been beaten out of him long ago, and only the fear remained. He has a raw, suppurating sore under the saddle, gluing the blanket to his lean back and crouches when he is mounted. Both legs on one side look shorter than on the other, giving a crooked look to himself and his rider, and his bare feet are worn thin as if he had been on lava. I rode him for a mile yesterday, and when he attempted a convulsive canter with three short steps and a stumble in it, his abbreviated off-legs made me feel as if I were rolling over on one side kaluna beats him the whole time with a heavy stick but except when he strikes him most barbarously about his eyes and nose he only cringes without quickening his pace when i rode him mercifully the true hound nature came out the sufferings of this wretched animal have been the great drawback on this journey i have now bribed kaluna with as much as the horse is worth to give him a month's rest and long before that time i hope the owl-hawks will be picking his bones the horse has come before the rider but kaluna is no nonentity. entity he is a very handsome youth of sixteen with eyes which are remarkable even in this land of splendid eyes a straight nose a very fine mouth and beautiful teeth a mass of wavy almost curly hair and a complexion not so brown as to conceal the mantling of the bright southern blood in his cheeks. His figure is lithe, athletic, and as pliable as if he were an invertebrate animal, capable of unlimited doublings up and contortions, to which his thin white shirt and blue cotton trousers are no impediment. He is almost a complete savage. His movements are impulsive and uncontrolled, and his handsome face looks as if it belonged to a half-tamed creature out of the woods he talks loud laughs incessantly croons a monotonous chant which sounds almost as heathenish as tom-tom's throws himself out of his saddle hanging on by one foot lingers behind to gather fruits and then comes tearing up beating his horse over the ears and nose with a fearful yell and a prolonged sound like striking my mule and threatening to overturn me as he passes me on the narrow track he is the most thoroughly careless and irresponsible being i ever saw reckless about the horses reckless about himself without any manners or any obvious sense of right and propriety in his mouth this musical tongue becomes as harsh as the speech of a cockatoo or parrot HIS MANNER IS FAMILIAR. HE RIDES UP TO ME, POKES HIS HEAD UNDER MY HAT, AND SAYS INTERROGATIVELY, COLD? BY WHICH I UNDERSTAND THAT THE POOR BOY IS SHIVERING HIMSELF. IN EATING HE PLUNGES HIS HAND INTO MY BOWL OF FOWL, OR SNATCHES HALF MY BISCUIT. YET I DARE SAY HE MEANS WELL, AND I AM THOROUGHLY AMUSED WITH HIM, EXCEPT WHEN HE maltreats HIS HORSE. It is a very strange life going about with natives, whose ideas, as shown by their habits, are, to say the least of it, very peculiar. Deborah speaks English fairly, having been brought up by white people and is a very nice girl. But were she one of our own race, I should not suppose her to be more than eleven years old, and she does not seem able to understand my ideas on any subject though I can be very much interested and amused with hearing hers. We had a perfect day until the middle of the afternoon. The dimpling Pacific was never more than a mile from us as we kept the narrow track in the long green grass, and on our left the blunt snow-patched peaks of Mauna Kea rose from the girdle of forest, looking so delusively near that I fancied a two-hour's climb would take us to his lofty summit. The track for twenty-six miles is just in and out of gulches, from a hundred to eight hundred feet in depth, all opening on the sea, which sweeps into them in three booming rollers. The candle nut or kikui, Alorites triloba, tree, which on the whole predominates, has leaves of a rich deep green when mature which contrasts beautifully with the flaky silvery look of the younger foliage some of the shallower gulches are filled exclusively with this tree which in growing up to the light to within a hundred feet of the top presents a mass and density of leafage quite unique giving the gulch the appearance as if billows of green had rolled in and solidified there Each gulch has some specialty of ferns and trees, and in such a distance as sixty miles, they vary considerably with the variations of soil, climate, and temperature. But everywhere the rocks, trees, and soil are covered and crowded with the most exquisite ferns and mosses, from the great tree-fern, whose bright fronds light up the darker foliage, to the lovely maidenhair and graceful salaginellas, which are mirrored in pools of sparkling water. Everywhere, too, the great blue morning glory opened to a heaven not bluer than itself. The descent into the gulches is always solemn. You canter along a bright breezy upland, and are suddenly arrested by a precipice and from the depths of a forest abyss a low plash or murmur arises or a deep bass sound significant of water which must be crossed and one reluctantly leaves the upper air to plunge into heavy shadow and each experience increases one's apprehensions concerning the next though in some gulches the kukui preponderates in others the lauhala whose aerial roots support it in otherwise impossible positions and in others the sombre ohia yet there were some grand clefts in which nature has mingled her treasures impartially and out of cool depths of ferns rose the feathery cocoa-palm the glorious breadfruit with its green melon-like fruit the large ohia ideal in its beauty the most gorgeous flowering tree i have ever seen with spikes of rose crimson blossoms borne on the old wood blazing among its shining many-tinted leafage the tall papaya with its fantastic crown the profuse gigantic plantain and innumerable other trees shrubs and lianas in the beauty and bounteousness of an endless spring imagine my surprise on seeing at the bottom of one gulch a grove of good-sized dark-leaved very handsome trees with an abundance of smooth round green fruit upon them and on reaching them finding that they were orange trees their great size far exceeding that of the largest at valencia having prevented me from recognising them earlier In another some large shrubs with oval shining dark leaves, much crimped at the edges, bright green berries along the stalks, and masses of pure white flowers lying flat, like snow on evergreens, turned out to be coffee. The guava with its obtuse smooth leaves, sweet white blossoms on solitary axillary stalks, and yellow fruit was universal. The novelty of the fruit, foliage and vegetation is an intense delight to me. I should like to see how the rigid aspect of a coniferous tree, of which there is not one indigenous to the islands, would look by contrast. We passed through a long thicket of sumac, an exotic from North America, which still retains its old habit of shedding its leaves and its grey, wintry, desolate-looking branches, reminded me that there are less favoured parts of the world, and that you are among mist, cold, murk, slush, gales, leaflessness, and all the dismal concomitants of an English winter. It is wonderful that people should have thought of crossing these gulches on anything with four legs. Formerly, that is within the last thirty years, the precipices could only be ascended by climbing with the utmost care, and descended by being lowered with ropes from crag to crag, and from tree to tree, when hanging on by the hands became impracticable to even the most experienced mountaineer. In this last fashion, Mr. Cohen and Mr. Lyons were let down to preach the gospel to the people of the then populous valleys, But within recent years, narrow tracks allowing one horse to pass another have been cut along the sides of these precipices, without any windings to make them easier, and only deviating enough from the perpendicular to allow of their descent by the sure-footed, native-born animals. Most of them are worn by water and animals' feet, broken, rugged, jagged with steps of rock sometimes three feet high, produced by breakage here and there. Up and down these the animals slip, jump and scramble, some of them standing still until severely spurred or driven by someone from behind. Then there are softer descents, slippery with damp and perilous in heavy rains, down which they slide dexterously, gathering all their leaks under them, on a few of these tracks a false step means death, but the vegetation which clothes the parley below blinds one to the risk. I don't think anything would induce me to go up a swinging zigzag, up a terrible parley opposite to me as I ride, the sides of which are quite undraped. All the gulches for the first twenty-four miles contain running water the great Hakalau Gulch we crossed early yesterday has a river with a smooth bed as wide as the Thames at Eton. Some have only small quiet streams which pass gently through ferny grottoes. Others have fierce strong torrents dashing between abrupt walls of rock among immense boulders into deep abysses, and cast themselves over precipice after precipice into the ocean. Probably many of these are the courses of fire-torrents, whose jagged masses of uh uh-uh have since been worn smooth and channelled into holes by the action of water. A few are crossed on narrow bridges, but the majority are forded, if that quiet conventional term can be applied to the violent flounderings by which the horses bring one through. The transparency deceives them, and however deep the water is, they always try to lift their forefeet out of it, which gives them a disagreeable rolling motion. Mr. Brigham, in his valuable monograph on the Hawaiian volcanoes quoted below, appears as much impressed with these gulches as I am. We lunched in one glorious valley, and Kaluna made drinking cups which held fully a pint, out of the beautiful leaves of the Ara Mesculentum. towards afternoon, turbid-looking clouds lowered over the sea, and by the time we reached the worst parley of all, the south side of Lapahoihoi, they burst on us in torrents of rain accompanied by strong wind. This terrible precipice takes one entirely by surprise. Kaluna, who rode first disappeared so suddenly that i thought he had gone over it is merely a dangerous broken ledge and besides that it looks as if there were only foothold for a goat one is dizzied by the sight of the foaming ocean immediately below and when we actually reached the bottom there was only a narrow strip of shingle between the stupendous cliff and the resounding surges which came up as if bent on destruction The path by which we descended looked a mere thread on the side of the precipice. I don't know what the word beetling means, but if it means anything bad, I will certainly apply it to that parley. A number of disastrous-looking native houses are clustered under some very tall palms in the open part of the gulch. But it is a most wretched situation. The roar of the surf is deafening. The scanty supply of water is brackish, there are rumours that leprosy is rife, and the people are said to be the poorest on Hawaii. We were warned that we could not spend a night comfortably there. So, wet, tired and stiff, we rode on another six miles to the house of a native called Bola Bola, where we had been instructed to remain. The rain was heavy and ceaseless, and the trail had become so slippery that our progress was much retarded. It was a most unpropitious-looking evening, and I began to feel the painful stiffness arising from prolonged fatigue in saturated clothes. I indulged in various imaginations as we rode up the long ascent leading to Bola bowler Bolas, but this time they certainly were not of sofas and tea, and I never aspired to anything beyond drying my clothes by a good fire, for at Hilo some people had shrugged their shoulders, and others had laughed mysteriously at the idea of our sleeping there, and some had said it was one of the worst of native houses. A single glance was enough. It was a dilapidated frame-house, altogether forlorn, standing unsheltered on a slope of the mountain, with one or two yet more forlorn grass piggeries, which I supposed might be the cook-house and eating-house near it. A prolonged har-roosh from Kaluna brought out a man with a female horde behind him, all shuffling into clothes as we approached, and we stiffly dismounted from the wet saddles in which we had sat for ten hours, and stiffly hobbled up into the littered veranda, the water dripping from our clothes and squeezing out of our boots at every step. Inside there was one room about eighteen by fourteen feet, which looked as if the people had just arrived and had thrown down their goods promiscuously. There were mats on the floor, not over clean, and half the room was littered and piled with mats rolled up, boxes, bamboos, saddles, blankets, lassoos, coconuts, carlo roots, bananas, quilts, pans, calabashes, bundles of hard poi in tea leaves, bones, cats, fowls, clothed. A frightful old woman, looking like a relic of the old heathen days, with bristling grey hair cut short, her body tattooed all over, and no clothing but a ragged blanket huddled around her shoulders, a girl about twelve, with torrents of shining hair, and a piece of bright green calico thrown round her, and two very good-looking young women in rose-coloured chemises, one of them holding a baby, were squatting and lying on the mats one over another like a heap of savages. When the man found that we were going to stay all night, he bestirred himself, dragged some of the things to one side, and put down a shakedown of pulu, the silky covering of the fronds of one species of tree-fern, with a sheet over it and a gay quilt of orange and red cotton. There was a thin printed muslin curtain to divide off one half of the room, a usual arrangement in native houses. He then helped to unsaddle the horses, and the confusion of the room was increased by a heap of our wet saddles, blankets, and gear. All this time the women lay on the floor and stared at us. Rheumatism seemed impending, for the air up there was chilly, and I said to Deborah that I must make some change in my dress, and she signed to Kaluna, who sprang up my soaked boots and pulled them off, and my stockings too, with a savage alacrity which left it doubtful for a moment whether he had not also pulled off my feet. I had no means of making any further change except putting on a wrapper over my wet clothes. Meanwhile the man killed and boiled a fowl, and boiled some sweet potato, and when these untempting viands and a calabash of poi were put before us, we sat round the manette, I with my knife, the others with their fingers. There was some coffee in a dirty bowl. The females had arranged a row of pillows on their mat, and all lay face downwards with their chins resting upon them, staring at us with their great brown eyes, and talking and laughing incessantly. They had low, sensual faces, like some low order of animal. When our meal was over, the man threw them the relics, and they soon picked the bones clean. It surprised me that after such a badly served meal, the man brought a bowl of water for our hands, and something intended for a towel. By this time it was dark, and a stone, deeply hollowed at the top, was produced, containing beef fat and a piece of rag for a wick which burned with a strong flaring light the women gathered themselves up and sat round a large calabash of poi conveying the sour paste to their mouths with an inimitable twist of the fingers laying their heads back and closing their eyes with a look of animal satisfaction when they had eaten they lay down as before with their chins on their pillows and again the row of great brown eyes confronted me. Deborah, Kaluna, and the women talked incessantly in loud, shrill voices, till Kaluna uttered the word, Away! with a long, groaning intonation, apparently signifying weariness, divested himself of his clothes, and laid down on a mat alongside our shakedown, upon which we let down the dividing curtain and wrapped ourselves up as warmly as possible i was uneasy about deborah who had had a cough for some time and consequently took the outside place under the window which was broken and presently a large cat jumped through the hole and down upon me followed by another and another till five wild cats had effected an entrance "'making me a stepping-stone to ulterior proceedings. "'Had there been a sixth, "'I think I could not have borne the infliction quietly. "'Strips of jerked beef were hanging from the rafters, "'and by the light which was still burning, "'I watched the cats climb up stealthily, "'seize on some of these, "'descend and disappear through the window, "'making me a stepping-stone as before.' but with all their craft they let some of the strips fall, which awoke Deborah, and next I saw Kaluna's magnificent eyes peering at us under the curtain. Then the natives got up and smoked and ate more poi at intervals and talked, and Kaluna and Deborah quarrelled, jokingly, about the time of night, she told me, and the moon through the rain-clouds occasionally gave us delusive hopes of dawn, and I kept moving my place to get out of the drip from the roof, and so the night passed. I was amused all the time, though I should have preferred sleep to such nocturnal diversions. It was so new and so odd to be the only white person among eleven natives in a lonely house, and yet to be as secure from danger and annoyance as in our own home at last a pale dawn did appear but the rain was still coming down heavily and our poor animals were standing dismally with their heads down and their tails turned towards the wind yesterday evening i took a change of clothes out of the damp saddlebags and put them into what i hoped was a dry place but they were soaked wetter even than those in which i had been sleeping and my boots and Deborah's were so stiff that we gladly availed ourselves of Kaluna's most willing services. The mode of washing was peculiar. He held a calabash with about half a pint of water in it while we bathed our faces and hands, and all the natives looked on and tittered. This was apparently his idea of politeness, for no persuasion would induce him to put the bowl down on the mat and Deborah evidently thought it was proper respect. We had a repetition of the same viands as the night before for breakfast, and as before the women lay with their chins on their pillows and stared at us. The rain ceased almost as soon as we started, and though it has not been a bright day it has been very pleasant. There are no large gulches on today's journey." The track is mostly through long grass, over undulating uplands, with park-like clumps of trees and thickets of guava and the exotic sumac. Different ferns, flowers and vegetation, with much less luxuriance and little water, denoted a drier climate and a different soil. There are native churches at distance of six or seven miles all the way from Hilo, but they seemed too large and too many for the scanty population. We moved on in single file at a jog-trot wherever the road admitted of it, meeting mounted natives now and then, which led to a delay for the exchange of new hole, and twice we had to turn into the thicket to avoid what here seems to be considered a danger. There are many large herds of semi-wild bullocks on the mountains, branded cattle as distinguished from the wild or unbranded and when they are wanted for food a number of experienced vaqueros on strong shod horses go up and drive forty or fifty of them down we met such a drove bound for Hilo, with one or two men in front and others at the sides and behind uttering loud shouts the bullocks are nearly mad with being hunted and driven and at times rush like a living tornado, tearing up the earth with their horns. As soon as the galloping riders are seen and the crooked horned beasts, you retire behind a screen. There must be some tradition of someone having been knocked down and hurt, for reckless as the natives are said to be, they are careful about this, and we were warned several times by travellers whom we met that there were bullocks ahead the law provides that the vaqueros shall station one of their number at the head of a gulch to give notice when cattle are to pass through we jogged on again till we met a native who told us that we were quite close to our destination but there were no signs of it for we were still on the lofty uplands and the only prominent objects were huge headlands confronting the sea i got off to walk as my mules seemed footsore. But had not gone many yards when we came suddenly to the verge of a pali, about a thousand feet deep, with a narrow fertile valley below, with a yet higher pali on the other side, both abutting perpendicularly on the sea. I should think the valley is not more than three miles long, and it is walled in by high inaccessible mountains. It is in fact a gulch. On a vastly enlarged scale, the prospect below us was very charming—a fertile region, perfectly level, protected from the sea by sandhills, watered by a winding stream, and bright with fish ponds, meadowlands, carlo patches, orange and coffee groves, figs, breadfruit, and palms. There were a number of grass houses and a native church with a spire and another up the valley testified to the energy and aggressiveness of Rome. We saw all this from the moment we reached the Pali, and it enlarged, and the detail grew upon us with every yard of the laborious descent of broken, craggy track, which is the only mode of access to the valley from the outer world. I got down on foot with difficulty, a difficulty much increased by the long rolls of my spurs, which caught on the rocks and entangled my dress, the simple expedient of taking them off not having occurred to me. A neat frame house with large stones between it and the river was our destination. It belongs to a native named Halamanu, a great man in the district, for besides being a member of the legislature he is deputy sheriff, he is a man of property also and though he cannot speak a word of english he is well educated in Hervelian and writes an excellent hand i brought a letter of introduction to him from mr severance and we were at once received with every hospitality our horses cared for and ourselves luxuriously lodged we walked up the valley before dark to get a view of a cascade and found supper ready on our return. This is such luxury after last night. There is a very light bright sitting room with papered walls and manila matting on the floor, a round centre table with books and a photographic album upon it, two rocking chairs, an office desk, another table and chairs, and a Canadian lounge. I can't imagine in what way this furniture was brought here, Our bedroom opens from this, and it actually has a four-post bedstead with mosquito bars, a lounge and two chairs, and the floor is covered with native matting. The washing apparatus is rather an anomaly, for it consists of a basin and crash towel placed in the veranda in full view of fifteen people. The natives all bathe in the river, halimanu has a cook-house and native cook and an eating-room where i was surprised to find everything in foreign style chairs a table with a snow-white cover and table napkins knives forks and even salt cellars i asked him to eat with us and he used the knife and fork quite correctly never for instance putting the knife into his mouth i was amused to see him afterwards sitting on a mat among his family and dependents helping himself to poi from a calabash with his fingers he gave us for supper delicious fried river fish boiled kalo and waipio coffee with boiled milk it is very annoying only to be able to converse with this man through an interpreter and deborah as is natural is rather unwilling to be troubled to speak English now that she's among her own people. After supper we sat by candlelight in the parlour, and he showed me his photograph album. At eight he took a large Bible, put on glasses, and read a chapter in Hawaiian, after which he knelt and prayed with profound reverence of manner and tone. Towards the end I recognised the Hawaiian words for our father. Here in Waipio there is something pathetic in the idea of this fatherhood, which is wider than the ties of kin and race. Even here not one is a stranger, an alien, a foreigner. And this man, so civilised and Christianized, only now in middle life, was, he said, a big boy when the first teachers came, and may very likely have witnessed horrors in the heiau, or temple, close by of which little is left now. This bedroom is thoroughly comfortable. Kaluna wanted to sleep on the lounge here, probably because he is afraid of akua's or spirits, but we have exiled him to a blanket on the parlour lounge. I.L.B letter ten continued we were thoroughly rested this morning and very glad of a fine day for a visit to the great cascade which is rarely seen by foreigners my mule was slightly galled with the girth and having a strong fellow-feeling with elisha's servant alas master for it was borrowed i have bought for twenty dollars a pretty light half-broken bay mare which i rode to-day and liked much after breakfast which was a repetition of last night's supper we three with halemanu's daughter as guide left on horseback for the waterfall though the natives tried to dissuade us by saying that stones came down and it was dangerous also that people could not go in their clothes there was so much wading in deference to this last opinion d rode without boots and i without stockings We rode through the beautiful valley till we reached a deep gorge turning off from it, which opens out into a nearly circular chasm, with walls two thousand feet in height, where we tethered our horses. A short time after leaving them, Dee said, She says we can't go further in our clothes, but when the natives saw me plunge boldly into the river in my riding dress, which is really not unlike a fashionable Newport bathing suit, they thought better of it. It was a thoroughly rough tramp, wading ten times through the river, which was sometimes up to our knees, and sometimes to our waists, and besides the fighting among slippery rocks in rushing water, we had to crawl and slide up and down wet mossy masses of dislodged rock to push with eyes shut through wet jungles of Indian shot, guava, and a thorny vine, and sometimes to climb from tree to tree at a considerable height. When, after an hour's fighting, we arrived in sight of the cascade, but not of the basin into which it falls, our pretty guide declined to go further, saying that the wind was rising and that stones would fall and kill us. But being incredulous on this point, I left them, and with great difficulty and many bruises, got up the river to its exit from the basin, and there, being unable to climb the rocks on either side, stood up to my throat in the still tepid water, till the scene became real to me. I do not care for any waterfall but Niagara, nor do I care in itself for this one, For though its first leap is two hundred feet, and its second sixteen hundred, it is so frittered away and dissipated in spray, owing to the very magnitude of its descent, that there is no volume of water within sight to create mass or sound, but no words can paint the majesty of the surroundings the caverned, precipitous walls of rock coming down in one black plunge from the blue sky above to the dark abyss of water below, the sullen, shuddering sound with which pieces of rock came hurtling down among the trees, the thin tinkle of the water as it falls, the full rush of the river, the feathery growth of ferns gigantic below, but so diminished by the height above as only to show their presence by the green tinge upon the rocks, while in addition to the gloom produced by the stupendous height of the cliffs, there is a cool green darkness of dense forest, and mighty trees of strange tropical forms glass themselves in the black mirror of the basin for one moment a ray of sunshine turned the upper part of the spray into a rainbow and never to my eyes had the bow of promise looked so heavenly as when it spanned the black solemn tree-shadowed abyss whose deep still waters only catch a sunbeam on five days of the year i found the natives regaling themselves on papaya and on live freshwater shrimps which they find in great numbers in the river. I remembered that white people at home calling themselves civilised, eat live, or at least raw, oysters, but the sight of these active squirming shrimps struggling between the white teeth of my associates was yet more repulsive. We finished our adventurous expedition with limbs much bruised, as well as torn and scratched and before we emerged from the chasm saw a rock dislodged, which came crashing down not far from us, carrying away an ohi'a. It is a gruesome and dowie den, but well worth a visit. We mounted again and rode as far as we could up the valley, fording the river in deep water several times and coming down the other side. The coffee trees in full blossom were very beautiful, and they, as well as the oranges, have escaped the blight which has fallen upon both in other parts of the island. In addition to the usual tropical productions, there were some very fine fig trees and thickets of the castor oil plant. A very handsome shrub, when, as here, it grows to a height of from ten to twenty-two feet, The natives, having been joined by some Waipio women, rode at full gallop over all sorts of ground, and I enjoyed the speed of my mare without any apprehension of being thrown off. We rode among most extensive Carlo plantations and large artificial fish ponds, in which hundreds of goldfish were gleaming, and came back by the seashore, green with the maritime convolvulus and the smooth-bottomed river which the Waipio folk use as a road. Canoes glide along it, brown-skinned men wade down it, floating bundles of carlo after them, and strings of laden horses and mules follow each other along its still waters. I hear that in another and nearly unapproachable valley a river serves the same purpose." While we were riding up it, a great gust lifted off its surface in fine spray and almost blew us from our horses. Hawaii has no hurricanes, but at some hours of the day Waipio is subject to terrific gusts, which really justify the people in their objection to visiting the Cascade. Some time ago, in one of these, this house was lifted up, carried twenty feet, and deposited in its present position. Supper was ready for us. Carlo, yams, spatchcock, poi, coffee, rolls, and Oregon kippered salmon, and when I told Halemanu that the spatchcock and salmon reminded me of home, he was quite pleased, and said he would provide the same for breakfast to-morrow. The owner of the mare, which I have named Bessie Twinker, had willingly sold her to me, though I told him I could not pay him for her until I reached Onamia. I do not know what had caused my credit to suffer during my absence, but D, after talking long with him this evening, said to me, "'He says he can't let you have the horse, because when you've taken it away, he thinks you will never send him the money.' I told her indignantly to tell him that English women never cheated people. A broad and totally unsustainable assertion which had the effect of satisfying the poor fellow after halemanu deborah kaluna and a number of natives had eaten their poi halemanu brought in a very handsome silver candlestick and expressed a wish that deborah should interpret for us he asked a great many sensible questions about england especially about the state of the poor the extent of the franchise, and the influence of religion. When he heard that I had spent some years in Scotland, he said, Do you know Mr. Wallace? I was quite puzzled, and tried to recall any man of that name who I had heard of as having visited Hawaii, when a happy flash of comprehension made me aware of his meaning, and I replied that I had seen his sword several times, but that he had died long before I knew Scotland, and indeed before I was born, but that the Scotch held his memory in great veneration, and were putting up a monument to him. But for the mistake as to dates, he seemed to have the usual notions as to the exploits of Wallace. He deplores most deeply the dwindling of his people, and his manner became very sad about it. D said he's very unhappy. He says soon there will be no more kanakas. He told me that this beautiful valley was once very populous, and even forty years ago, when Mr Ellis visited it, there were thirteen hundred people here. Now, probably, there are not more than two hundred. Here was the Puhonoa, or place of refuge for all this part of the island. This, and the very complete one of Honaunao, on the other side of Hawaii, were the Hawaiian cities of refuge. Could any tradition of the Mosaic Ordinance on this subject have travelled hither? These two sanctuaries were absolutely inviolable. The gates stood perpetually open, and though the fugitive was liable to be pursued to their very threshold, he had no sooner crossed it than he was safe from king, chief or avenger. These gates were wide, and some faced the sea and others the mountains. Hither the murderer, the manslayer, the taboo breaker fled, repaired to the presence of the idol, and thanked it for aiding him to reach the place of security. After a certain time, the fugitives were allowed to return to their families, and none dared to injure those to whom the high gods had granted their protection. In time of war, tall spears from which white flags were unfurled were placed at each end of the enclosure, and until the proclamation of peace invited the vanquished to enter. These flags were fixed a short distance outside the walls, and no pursuing warrior, even in the hot flush of victory, could pursue his routed foe one foot beyond. Within was the sacred pale of Tabu, and any one attempting to strike his victim there would have been put to death by the priests and their adherents. In wartime the children, old people, and many of the women of the neighbouring districts were received within the enclosure, where they awaited the issue of the conflict in security and were safe from violence in the event of defeat. These Puhonuas contain pieces of stone weighing from two to three tons, raised six feet from the ground, and the walls, narrowing gradually towards the top, are fifteen feet wide at the base and twelve feet high. They are truly grand monuments of humanity in the midst of the barbarous institutions of heathenism, and it shows a considerable degree of enlightenment that even rebels in arms and fugitives from invading armies were safe, if they reached the sacred refuge, for the priests of Keawe knew no distinctions of party. In dreadful contrast to this place of mercy, there were some very large heiaus or temples here, on whose hideous altars eighty human sacrifices are said to have been offered at one time one of the legends told me concerning this lovely valley is that king umi having vanquished the kings of the six divisions of hawaii was sacrificing captives in one of these heiaus when the voice of his god kuahaleu was heard from the clouds demanding more slaughter Fresh human blood streamed from the altars, but the insatiable demon continued to call for more, till Umi had sacrificed all the captives and all his own men but one, whom he at first refused to give up, as he was a great favourite. But Kuahilou thundered from heaven till the favourite warrior was slain, and only the king and the sacrificing priest remained this valley of the vanquished waters abounds in legends some of these are about a cruel monster king huku who lived here and whose memory so far as he is remembered is much execrated it is told of him that if a man was said to have a handsome head he sent some of his warriors to behead him and then hacked and otherwise disfigured the face for a diversion on one occasion he ordered a man's arm to be cut off and brought to him simply because it was said to be more beautifully tattooed than his own. It is 54 years since the last human sacrifice was exposed on the Waipio altars, but there are several old people here who must have been at least 30 when Hawaii threw off idolatry forever. Halemanu has again closed the evening with the simple worship of the true God, I.L.B end of section read by jane bennett